the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the show. It's Tuesday and boy did four o'clock get here quickly today. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And this is the Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions. Uh, whatever is on your heart and mind, all you need to do is call us. You can dial 210-340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR, numerically at 630-5757. You can email your questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com where you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. And remember, if you are driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the call now banner at the top of the screen and you will be connected to our studio producer. Uh, Two quick things before we get started because we don't normally have anything on Tuesday. I want to say thank you to Sandy, Sandy, I received your package in the mail today, uh, and it was such a blessing. It was um, uh, made me smile. So thank you very, very much, and I appreciate your faithful listening to the program. The other one is Thomas from uh, Victoria, Texas. Thomas uh, wrote to us asking uh, if there was any possibility of sending a Calvary Chapel pastor out to Victoria, Texas. Um, uh, Actually, uh, Thomas, we have been praying about this for a very, very long time. Uh, We get lots of requests from the Victoria area. I know it's not a big area. That's what makes the numbers of requests we've had over the years that much more important. All I can say is we're working on it, and hopefully the Lord will raise up a man who is called to that area. And uh, in the meantime, keep listening to the program. I'm grateful that the signal is strong all the way to Victoria, Texas. We are grateful for your listener, and we are praying for the right opportunity. Okay, let's go to our first phone call today from Victor on line one. Victor, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Yes, sir. Pastor Ron, I had one of my daughters was asking me about uh, where in the scriptures uh, do we... uh, uh, come to the uh, belief that uh, children that, that die uh, will will go straight to heaven, and, and uh, whereas uh, the grown the adults will, will if they haven't received Christ, well, you know they'll they'll go to hell. But uh, children, uh, I, I know it's taught that they're uh, they're not accountable at, or whatever age. So I just wondered if you could talk about that and maybe uh, give me some scripture references so that I can share those with her. I can do that, Victor. Thank you. Uh, A couple of things. One, um, before I get to to the scripture reference, um, one is uh, we we have to count on the nature of God. Now, um, Paul says that, that the law wasn't held against people before there was a law. Why? Because they had no knowledge of the law. That tells us how God deals with people. 
In Romans chapter 1, we're told that God deals with us on the basis of conscience, about what we know about creation. I spoke about that at length yesterday to a question. So we have to go on. In every doctrinal conclusion that we come to, we have to make sure it's consistent with the nature of God. So if God were to hold babies, young men, young women, boys and girls, accountable for stuff that they weren't, uh, that they didn't have any knowledge of. That that would mean God is unjust, God is unfair, and certainly we know that can't be the case. So uh, that's the first thing to consider there. Secondly, uh, we need to understand that um, we have to be willful in our sin. Uh, we're all sinners. John chapter 3, in Jesus' discussion with Nicodemus, says that we're born condemned already. So this isn't a suggestion that your children, the babies, are without sin. They're born sinners. The, the, the difficulty, of course, is that they don't know what they're doing. Now, we've got in the little prophecy of Jonah, Jonah was upset that God was going to send him with a message of judgment if they didn't repent in Nineveh. And uh, and he wanted Nineveh to, be, Nineveh to be judged. And God says, don't you know that I have 120,000 in Nineveh who don't know their right hand from their left? In other words, there were kids there. And God wanted to give them an opportunity to grow up and know. And of course, we know Nineveh repented. And for an entire generation, the people there followed God. Then, of course, uh, like all humans, they forgot about God. And and the next generation was was doomed. So we know that's one of the places. But the key place for me, Victor, and my research department is looking at the at the, the passage right now, was when David's son with Bathsheba died. You remember that while the boy was alive and still struggling, God David didn't eat, he didn't bathe, he'd, he 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 assumed the traditional Jewish uh, posture of mourning. And when his attendants heard that um, uh, the, the boy had died, they were afraid to say anything. And so David noticed that there was something different about the men. And he looked at them and he said, um, my son is dead. And they acknowledged it. And David immediately got up. He washed. He ate. Um, he, he, he was getting back to being the king. And they were perplexed. Well, why did you grieve and mourn when he was still alive? But now that you know he's dead, you're no longer grieving. Second Samuel chapter 12, and uh, David's response was, um, He cannot come to me, but I will go to him. And Victor, that's, uh, that's as... as uh, credible evidence as we could possibly have of the fairness of God's nature. God, judgment, Isaiah 28 says, is a strange word for God. It's not what he wants to do. So God is looking for opportunities to forgive. And in this particular case, because they weren't accountable, um, they would be in the presence of the Lord. One other thought on this, Victor, and I'm sure your daughter uh, isn't interested in this, but... um, with babies that are aborted, um, we know that instantly they're knit together in the womb by God, and instantly they go into the presence of the Lord, and, and those aborted children will be in heaven when they get there. We've had many opportunities for women to repent and come to know Jesus Christ after they've had an abortion, and um, um, this is just God's promise to them that they will go to their child, and things will be well and it won't be a time when they feel bad. They won't be embarrassed. They won't be um, stricken with guilt. In heaven, there's none of those things. It'll be a glorious reunion. So, Victor, thank you very much for the phone call. I appreciate your calling. Here is a question from Natalie. She says, God has blessed me and my family a lot, but I get angry all the time. I don't want to be. Why am I angry instead of grateful? Natalie, um, Paul and I were just talking about uh, this the other day. Um, uh, This is just the human condition. You're angry um, because that's what happens when your flesh is in control. Um, 
Anger is not a good fruit of the Spirit. Anger is a bad fruit of the flesh. And when you recognize that God has blessed you, and in your case, you said he's blessed you and your family a lot, then you've got to deal very seriously with this issue because this is an issue that you're accountable to God for. So what you need to do is be grateful to God and you've got to work hard at doing that. Now, I can suggest a couple of ways to do that as simply as, as I can make it, but this has to be a decision of your will. When you get up in the morning, you can decide who's going to be in control. Is your flesh going to be in control or is the Spirit of God going to be in control? And you, as I said, are more accountable than most because you recognize God's blessing in your life. You've, you've experienced his hand in your life. So what you need to do instead of giving in to your angry, anger is you simply need to say, Lord, by the power of your spirit, I choose to be grateful to God. Now, the second thing you can do, Natalie, is to spend time with the Lord. Learn more about his character, his nature. Remember that as a born-again believer, he lives in you in the person of the Holy Spirit, Christ in us, the hope of glory, Jesus says. So what we've got to do is we've got to decide that, that, that we're going to respond, not in the flesh to what God's asking us to do, but in the Spirit. And anger, excuse me, anger is a sin. So Natalie, the next step you need to take is you need to repent. You need to go before the Lord, take a long walk with him and say, Jesus, I am so sorry. You have blessed me abundantly and I take it for granted. And worse than taking it for granted, I get angry because I'm ungrateful. And that's sin. And so the answer, Natalie, is you need to repent because when you repent at that moment, then everything can change. You know, Natalie, I did a Bible study this Sunday, this past Sunday, and it's resonating still with a lot of people. Um, I'll ask you to do what I ask my church to do. Go to First Corinthians chapter 13, begin in verse 4, and everywhere where the word love is, love is patient, love is kind, and on and on, uh, wherever the word love is, insert the name Jesus. Jesus is patient. He was patient with you. Jesus is kind. He's been kind to you. You said it. He's blessed your family. And, and and when you get through that list from chapter 13, verse 4 through verse 7, um, you can see how nicely that all fits. Yeah, that's, that's a perfect description of Jesus. He loves me. And then when I got to the end of the study on Sunday, I challenged my church to go home and put their name instead of Jesus' name where the word love is. In, in my case, I would do it. Ron is patient. Ron is kind. And be brutally honest. Let the power of the Holy Spirit convict you if necessary. Put your name in there. And if you don't measure up, I mean, theoretically, uh, the response should be the same. Jesus poured out his love into your heart by the Holy Spirit that he's given us. That's Romans 5.5. 5. So theoretically, we ought to be able to say, Ron is patient. Ron is kind. And you, of course, with your name. And, and the result should be the same. If it's not then we need to be honest with God. We need to repent and we need to get right with God because only then can the, the, the Holy Spirit fill us afresh in the power of God and only then will we be able to say our fellowship with God has been restored. The truth is ungratitude or a lack of gratitude, Natalie, I think is one of the most egregious sins. And I think far, far, far too many of us as born-again Christians uh, in these last days are guilty of not being grateful to God for all that he's done. Thank you very much. 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. And we'd love your live calls. Rudy asks, Pastor Ron, a friend of mine has left the faith. Too much pain, disease, violence, etc., for there to be a loving God. That was the friend's excuse. How can I convince him? Rudy, you can't. You can't. All you can do is let your life be filled with joy. Let him see your peace. Let him see uh, um, your, your grace, um, that, that common grace that's available to everybody, in the middle of all these things that he um, is, is questioning. Uh, how could a loving God permit pain? There's a lot of pain. 
Um, if this friend has lost somebody, he's going to be in pain. Um, you know, the, the, the hypocrisy here is that uh, we read about pain in this world all the time, and we don't think anything of it. But when that pain hits close to us, that's when we get angry with God. That's selfishness disease and violence. Why do we blame God for those things? But here's again the key. You cannot convince him. All you can do is demonstrate your love and your passion for Christ, your uh, steadfastness in your walk with the Lord. And then uh, he will have a living example of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And then, Rudy, all you can do is pray for him. I would tell my friend, and I have done this many, many times, friends and family members, I've told them that I can't imagine heaven without them there. And because I don't want to imagine heaven without them there, I just let them know I'm going to be praying for you. I'm begging you to consider, reconsider, but ultimately it's your choice. And because it's your choice, I have to give you the room to make that choice. Just know that when you come back to Jesus, I'll be there waiting for you. This is one of the hardest things, and the reason it's difficult, uh, Rudy, is because we have um, um, been given the gift by God of, of free will. And God honors free will, and we have to do it too. So we have to give people the room to make their own choices. We can't persuade. We can't cajole. We we can't pressure somebody. We can't put enough guilt on people. We just have to honor the fact that God wants to be loved of our own free will. And if if God accepts that, then we who are believers in Jesus Christ, we have to give the people in our lives the space to make those same choices. Thank you for the question. I appreciate it very, very much. Let's go to Lucy in Universal City. I think I know who this is. Lucy, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. Yes, it's Lucy, the one and only. (laughs) (laughs) It's my Lucy. Hi, Lucy. Hi, I had the amazing blessing of having lunch on Sunday with a family from church. And I met this young man that I'd met before, but I got to know him a little bit better. His name is Nathan, and his mom is Stephanie, and his dad is Matt. And I was told that he listens to your radio show. So this question is on behalf of Nathan. Uh, He didn't ask me to ask you, but um, I was thinking, he collects coins, and I was wondering, what does Jesus think about money? (laughs) Lucy, if you had lunch with Nathan, you probably came home with a headache because Nathan is so smart and he asks the best questions. And this is a young man who is so committed to his faith and to the Word of God. Uh, he he uh, uh, came in here one day and I was talking to him. And this was on an off day. Church was in session. And he, he was reading a map, a book of maps of biblical geography. And I said, Nathan, you're reading this stuff. He's actually called the program a couple of times with questions, but he is just a, a one-in-a-lifetime kid. He is absolutely committed to his faith. I had the honor of baptizing Nathan not too long ago. Um, Lucy, God speaks a lot about money, and he has no problems with money, none whatsoever, unless that money becomes the focus of our life. You remember the story of the rich young ruler where um, he he had a lot of money, he was important, he had a lot going for him, uh, and and he came to Jesus wanting to know, what do I have to do to obtain eternal life? And Jesus said to him, eventually got to this point after there was some back and forth, he said, one thing you lack, sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And the rich young ruler walked away really, really sad because it said he had great wealth. And he was unwilling to surrender his wealth in order to be wealthy from an eternal perspective. 
And here's exactly why. His wealth was his little G God. And Jesus won't compete for our affections. Jesus won't share his glory. So we've got to know that Jesus comes first. And it's hard, Jesus said, for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven harder than it is for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. And that was just hyperbole. Jesus was, was making a point with a, with a, a, a vivid word picture. Uh, and what he's saying is that um, rich people trust their money instead of trusting him. He also noticed the widow who gave two little mites in the temple treasury while the wealthier people were lined up giving lots of money. And Jesus said, this woman has given more than all of the others. So God's only objection to money is that we have a tendency to idolize it. We have a tendency to pursue it at all costs. And certainly there are a lot of people who put money and the security that money can buy, not only the comfort, but the security that money can buy, and they put that in their lives way, way, way ahead of of their relationship with Jesus Christ. So that's the only thing God has against money. He knows our human propensity to, to uh, become an idol for us. And that is the only thing, Lucy, that he says about money. Other than that, money is a great tool. Uh, I love the fact that God has made uh, some people very, very, very wealthy. Uh, those are people generally that he can trust. Uh, as if, as a Christian, I tell our church all the time that uh, we should all of us be asking God for the gift of giving, and it is a spiritual gift. If we ask for the gift of giving, then it should follow that we're going to have a lot to give. But he gives that gift to people that he can trust with with his money. And we've got to realize that everything that we have comes from him. Thus, everything that we have belongs to him. And if we understand that, God will bless us abundantly because we'll just keep on giving for his glory. So that's what God thinks about money. So you can pass that along to Nathan. If you're listening, Nathan, thank you for another great question. Lucy, God bless you. And I appreciate your call very, very much. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. We're inside five minutes for this uh, four minutes now for this section of the program. Jason says, Pastor Ron, I watched your message online where you said reading the Bible convicts us and demands that we make changes in our lives. Why would I read the Bible other than to make me feel better about myself? Well, Jason, if you are a professing Christian. You've got some real issues here with your perspective. You see, reading the Bible and be convicted of sin and making changes allows us, allows us to fellowship with Jesus. When you feel better about yourself and you don't want to deal with the sin in your life, well, then you're actually shutting Jesus out of your life. So that's why you'd want to do it. I know people, uh, Jason, who who live uh, the, the way you're suggesting that we should all live. Let's look at the, the, the I call them uh, refrigerator magnet verses. They're the kind that we put up in our house. You know, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. All things work together. Those, those passages that we all know. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. We know those passages and they make us feel good. But you see, there's absolutely no really feeling good, no genuine feeling good, unless you're right with God. And when we're indulging our flesh, when we're trying to make ourselves feel better, well, then we're missing the whole point. Jesus said, if you find your life, you're going to lose it. Seems like you're trying to find your life. But he said, if you lose your life for him, you'll find it. And that's why the Bible is so hard for people. It turns the whole world upside down. I was just talking to a man not too long ago, uh, a professing believer, who um, for days was telling me that the Bible is the best book in the history of the world, and I just can't believe it. He's a professing Christian. The Bible this, the Bible that. And then he let me know something about his life that was inconsistent with the Word, and I had to tell him. 
And he got really, really upset with me, thought I was prying. He said, I think what you said to me is sin because you're judging me. He said, no, you said the Bible is the best book in the world. Your Bible says that what you're doing is wrong in separating you from Jesus. Now, he could read all the passages in Scripture in the Bible that affirm what he wants to do. God loves me no matter what. His grace is unmerited favor. But the truth is, he's separated from God because of his sin. And Jason, the one thing that you want to do, I mean, the one thing you want to do is to be in fellowship with Jesus Christ and feeling better about yourself isn't going to let that happen. That is a very immature position to take not only on your relationship with God, but on the Word of God, that the Bible, the living, active Word of God, cuts deeply in our heart as a good thing because we need to be convicted when we are in sin. Jason, one of the things Paula says all the time, and I think she's a little nutty, but she always says, I love conviction. Well, the reason she loves conviction is because she loves Jesus and she doesn't want to be cut off from Him. So you read the Word... You get convicted, you can say, I'm sorry, and then you can change. But for God to let you live a life that would keep you separate from him is a dangerous place to be. Hey, we've got 30 minutes left in the show. 340-9585. This is the word to send up for life. We'll be back in two minutes. back to the word to stand on for life we're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR now here's pastor ron arbaugh we are back 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR here is a question from max he says the old testament requires capital punishment for crimes, for some crimes, Max. How can that be loving, and what's the point of it? One of the one of the, the, the things that God wants to communicate throughout the Bible is that he hates sin because sin leads to death. And so here's what he's doing with the law. He's simply saying, keep the law, and you live, break the law, and you die. How can it not be loving for God to warn you. If your child, Max, uh, is doing something that's going to hurt him, you're going to say, if you keep doing this, you're going to get hurt, and eventually there's going to be a punishment. You you love your child. That's why you do it. Well, God loves his children too. And so he says, this is the way to live an abundant life, and anything short of this will be, uh, uh, the, the result will be death. And and he wants people to know that sin leads to death. It is the most loving thing that can happen for God to warn us of the consequences of our actions. And the Old Testament, people under the Old Testament dispensation, people under the, the, the even before the dispensation of law, and after they knew they weren't keeping the law, God wanted to know that there is a price to pay. Now, Max, you don't say this in your question, but if you're just one of those um, anti-capital punishment guys because that's unloving, um, you haven't thought at all about the victims. God is just. Is, Is it not fair that if somebody murders somebody that their life should be taken from them? How is that not fair? And God is just. God is fair. And he wants us to know. So the whole point of the law was to show us our need for Jesus Christ, lest we die. And because he wants us to live, he gave us a living sermon illustration of the consequences of sin. And since we're all accountable, well, obviously, Max, if we decide to spend eternity apart from Jesus Christ, we call that hell then that's on us and it's not on God because God let us know. One other thought, Max, it's amazing. And again, I don't know you, so I don't know where you're really coming from. But, you know, those who who um, 
say, well, if Christians were really pro-choice, uh, or pro-life rather, I'm sorry, pro-life, then they would be against capital punishment. The difference between justly punishing someone who's taken life and taking the life of an innocent unborn child before that child ever gets an opportunity to live. If you can't see that difference, then we've got some real problems that are much deeper than the question. It is a good thing that God from the beginning said, if you sin, you will die. And it's only good because obviously he offered the remedy for sin. Anonymous says, Pastor Ron, what's the line between doubt and unbelief? I don't know, Anonymous, always. It's a very fine line, and the enemy, I think, uses doubt to to lead us into unbelief. But I think doubt can be healthy at times. If you have doubt about things, I think um, uh, that, that can motivate you to really dig in and find the answers. I think the biggest problem with doubt is people who remain in doubt and don't seek the answers, don't don't seek the solutions for their doubt. Um, I, I think we all have doubt at a time. I, I know the enemy brings doubt even to me. You'd be surprised, Anonymous, how many times the enemy says, well, even while I'm preaching, how do you know what you're saying is true? What if people don't go to heaven when they die? What if Jesus isn't God? I mean, he says he was the only way to the Father in heaven. What if that's not true? Well, those doubts have to be dealt with by faith. So what I do is I simply say, the Bible says, I'm absolutely convinced that what the Bible says is true, and I believe it. And then I've got to answer those doubts by faith by saying, look, I'm not going to listen to those kind of doubts. I know who Jesus is. I know what the Word says. And I believe it. And that's the way I've chosen to live my life. So doubts in and of themselves aren't always bad. It's when we linger on those doubts. I've had uh, men and women both over the years who go through these bouts of doubt and they're always about the same things. How could I? How how can I know God forgave me? How do I know I'm saved? Or how do I know God is good? Those kinds of questions. And and I think it's pretty easy to discern when we get to the place where doubt has turned into unbelief. But anonymous, it's something that we really have to focus on because unbelief is a killer. It was because of unbelief that the. Um, Exodus Israelites perished in the wilderness, a whole generation of people, because of unbelief. Now, it would be perfectly normal for them to doubt uh, how they're going to survive in a wilderness with no food and water. But then they would say, wait a minute, the God who got us through the Red Sea, the God who delivered us from Egypt and we plundered the Egyptians, that's the same God that will take care of us. So I think... The line, I'm answering the question as I, as I talk here, Anonymous. I think that line um, happens when we stop responding by faith. We've got to know who God is. We've got to trust who God is. And I think as long as we do that, uh, we're dealing with any doubts that come in a healthy manner. But if we stop doing that, I think we are in danger of crossing that line over into unbelief. Thank you. I appreciate the question, Anonymous. Jeremy says, Being out of church has caused me a great deal of difficulty. How do I know when it will be safe to go back? Jeremy, um, it's not safe for you to be out of church. Now, this is something that we've talked about endlessly here at Calvary Chapel because people are afraid and they're letting that fear paralyze them. Again, you would be foolish not to be afraid of the coronavirus. Um, it would be foolish to be uh, careless. Um, but, but it is more foolish to let your fear keep you home in the face of the difficulty, whatever that difficulty is it's causing you. So I would suggest to you, Jeremy, that it's not safe for you to stay out of church. Here's what you do. You live your life. I've had lots of questions over the last year and a half about COVID and our response to it. And I think we've got to get to the point where living with COVID is the only viable alternative we have, not 
shutting ourselves up in the home because we're afraid of getting it. I mean, all you have to do is look around and the people that have shut themselves in during their extended quarantine period of time, remember, this has now been going on for more than a year and a half, the people that shut themselves in and are just now starting to come out, those are the people who are being ravaged by this virus. We're all going to get it. I think we simply need to understand that unless you have this natural immunity that appears some people, not many, but some people have, we're all going to get this. I've had it, Jeremy. And I wasn't even out of church when I had it. Now, the church was closed and we were being safe, all of that. But but I was still here preaching. I was still out exercising. I was still doing all the things I need to do to make sure my walk with Jesus was healthy. Um. But we're all going to get it. It's like measles. We're all going to get it. If you're around people who have it and they're everywhere, you're going to get it. And so what you do is you deal with it. And you have to deal with it by faith. Be honest about the difficulty that it's causing you. And then speak to the Lord and ask him. He'll give you direction on this. No matter the reason, Jeremy, it's never spiritually healthy to forsake the assembling together of the saints. Hebrews 10.25 says we're not to do that. So live your life. Live your life. Might you get COVID? Yeah. But 99.8% of the people recover. I know the enemy says, what if I'm one of those small, small number of people that don't recover. Um, That happens. But we've got to be reasonable. We've got to think rationally through this. One other thought, Jeremy. I got some news from some people who used to come to the church. They stopped coming during the COVID time and they've kind of locked themselves into their house. They're, They're older people my age and above. And um, they're not doing well. They're just not doing well. Now, when you get to be my age and above, you don't have many years left. And we've got to decide how do we want to spend them. Do we want to spend them locked in a house? Do we want to spend them uh, in a fruitless manner so that God's not getting any glory? We're not using the gifts that God gave us. We're not ministering to anybody else. Is that how we want to go out? If Jesus were to come today and people that have locked themselves in their houses, how would they explain that to him? And I don't think it's going to be okay, Jeremy, to say, well, I was afraid. I mean, how many times in the Bible does Jesus say, don't be afraid? Not just Jesus, his angels, everybody else, do not fear. So it's okay to be afraid, Jeremy. It's not okay to be paralyzed in fear. We've got to live our lives. We've got to do what's right for for spiritual health. Why are we more concerned about our physical health than our spiritual health? Now, I don't want to die. Uh, I've had COVID. I said that earlier. Um, I've got natural antibodies at this point. I've been around people who've had it. Uh, the reality, however, is that Jesus is coming back soon and people are dying and especially with this pandemic uh, the people that are dying need to be told about Jesus so I'm doing what God has asked me to do in the process and that's what you need to do one more time Jeremy it's not safe for you not to go back at this point so I hope that makes sense to you Ricky says what exactly is the day of the Lord um, Ricky it depends on on the context of the passage I'll give you an example in Revelation uh, chapter 4 it says I was in the spirit John says I was in the spirit on the Lord's day uh, that is not the day of the Lord the Lord's day is a reference to Sunday the first day of the week when you see the day of the Lord it is always in that frame uh, of reference and context. It's always the day that uh, refers to Jesus' returning in power. Revelation chapter 19 is when that day occurs. You can read about it there. But it is a day when Jesus comes back 
with you, with me, uh, and establishes his kingdom on the earth. That's the day when he destroys his enemies. It is the culmination of the wrath of God at the end of the seven-year great tribulation. So that's always the day of the Lord. It refers to his second coming in judgment. So uh, there, there's no other context. So, Ricky, that's the only thing you've got to know. Uh, differentiate it from the Lord's day, uh, but the day of the Lord is always uh, a reference to his second coming in power. And I believe, Ricky, that day's coming soon. could be as soon as seven years. He's going to come get us first, his church, and then judgment is going to be poured out on this earth, and he's going to come culminated by the day of the Lord. Thank you very, very much. 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Here is an anonymous question. Um, Pastor Ron, I know you will disagree, but I think preaching against homosexuality only hardens their hearts and we lose them. Why can't we just love them and accept them? Um, because to accept what they're doing, to affirm what they're doing, is not loving them. It's exactly the opposite. And when we permit people to continue in sin, two things happen. Undeniably, two things happen. Their hearts grow harder and harder against God. And the second thing is that leads to judgment, separation from God for eternity. So how would you explain to somebody, if you were there on the day of the great white throne judgment, takes place. How would you explain to somebody that you didn't say anything to about their willful sin and they looked at you as they were being cast in the lake of fire and, and that look on their face would be like, why didn't you tell me? You see, Anonymous, and, and it, it seems to me, just based on the way you framed your question, that you're not a born-again believer. And if you're not a born-again believer... That same judgment awaits you. Born-again believers, one of our responsibilities to agree with Christ. We're Christians. We have to agree with our Christ. And he says this is a sin that leads to death. We've got to agree that it's a sin that leads to death. And if we simply love them and accept them, then we're in conflict with the very nature and the character and the revealed word. Of God, and that identifies us as an unbeliever. Look, homosexuality is not uh, a worse sin than than heterosexual, immoral sexuality. Our our world is trying to make a lot more of it, but the truth is, sin, especially sexual sin, separates us from God. If you really love people, you cannot stomach people being separated from God for time or eternity. So Anonymous, you knew I would disagree with you, but here's the thing. I'm agreeing with God and you're not. So this is a sin that leads to death. People who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. The most unloving thing that you can do is to accept them and to affirm their sin. Bruce says, since Jesus had to die, is it safe to say that God made Judas betray him? Um, Bruce, no, it's not safe to say that at all. In fact, um, all the things you said are true. Jesus did have to die. God knew it was Judas who was going to betray him. Jesus, by the way, knew that it was Judas who was going to betray him. But it wasn't Jesus, wasn't God the Father, that made Judas betray him. That was the choice he made of his own free will. God simply knew that. Now, one of the problems that we have when people are struggling balancing the sovereignty of God and, and man's free will is we forget the basis upon which God knows things. He knows things based on his foreknowledge. First Peter chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. Um, um, Romans chapter 8, verse 29. God knows how things are going to turn out. I was with a group of pastors today, and one of them made the statement that uh, in, in, in response to a question about the people that are dying from COVID, we were praying for some of the people in some of the churches that, that had COVID, and, and one of them who died. Um, uh, this pastor said, look, God knew the appointed time. 
And that was that person's time to die. Well, it wasn't that person's time to die because God told him it was. God didn't make it happen on that day. God just knew that it was going to happen that day. That's why we take, I mean, otherwise we could say, well, God knows when I'm going to die. I can't do anything about it. Then we would just eat whatever we wanted. We wouldn't exercise. We wouldn't work on being healthy. Uh, any of those things. God doesn't cause it. God just knows when it's going to happen. And I think as Christians, we need to understand that. So Judas made the choice. It cost him eternity. Jesus said he was a son of perdition from the beginning, which means that that um, God always knew this was what was going to happen. And while he had many, many chances to repent and tell Jesus, I'm sorry, and he would have been forgiven, he chose to willfully betray the Lord. So, Bruce, I hope that answers your question. Jennifer. Ooh, Jennifer, this is a broad question. Pastor Ron, what's the biggest problem the church will face in the next 10 years? Um, I don't know, Jennifer, if the church has 10 years. Uh, I'm hopeful that we don't. Uh, I think Jesus is coming back. Now, I'm not naming dates. I'm not uh, uh, trying to predict when Jesus is going to come back. I just think his return is imminent. I think it's time for the church to come to be with him where he is at the marriage supper of the Lamb. But if Jesus tarries, Jennifer, I think the biggest problem in the church in the next 10 years is the same one that we have right now. It's biblical ignorance. It's wanting to be comfortable. I'm going to be doing the church at Laodicea uh, this Friday night uh, in our Revelation study. And uh, church at, Revela- at, at Laodicea, uh, they thought they were fine. Hey, everything's fine. We're rich. We don't have a need of anything. And Jesus said, oh, you poor people, you're pitiful, poor, wretched, blind, and naked. And they didn't realize it. And I think we have thrown away the Bible. Uh, preachers aren't preaching it. Uh, I made reference in the first half of the program to a uh, a, 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 a big church that uh, never tells people about sin, never tells them anything's going to make them a little bit uncomfortable. Um, I think that's become common in the church in the United States of America. And I think the biggest problem we're going to have is it doesn't come from the government. It's not persecution about our rights. We're simply, we have simply turned away from the Word of God. And we're not educating people about the Word of God. How can we uh, attract young people if we're using carnal, worldly messages? If we're more concerned about their comfort and how they feel? If we're more concerned about uh, how many people are in church uh, and how much money is coming through the church, rather than are people really getting saved? Um, Jennifer, I've, I've made a commitment to the Lord. I'm not a popular guy. And by that I mean I say things people don't like. I mean, even in my own church where ostensibly the people love me, and I know they do, but you should see the look on people's faces when I'm talking about sin. They don't want any part of it. When I talk about sacrificing themselves by putting other people's needs ahead of their own. The look, it's just like this is, that's asking too much. And that's because they haven't been, our people have, but but generally speaking, people don't want to to read the Bible because the Bible convicts. The earlier question we had, um, I don't remember the name of the question, but but that question about why would I read the Bible if it convicts me and makes me feel bad, um, I want to read the parts that make me feel good about myself. Uh, that's the spiritual climate, Jennifer, that we've created. And I think if we don't change that, if we don't change that now, uh, if Jesus tarries, excuse me, if Jesus tarries, then I think um, things are going to get worse and worse and worse. One needs only to look at the condition of the churches that have completely trashed the Bible. Uh, United Methodist churches, Episcopal churches, uh, many Lutheran churches, um, some Presbyterian churches, uh, look how dead they are. Jesus is not there in the church. And without Jesus being in the church, without Jesus directing the church, Jennifer, we're in real 
real trouble. Again, I don't think the biggest threat comes from without. I think the government and the, the general climate of unbelievers in this world uh, it will make us uncomfortable, but that's nothing compared to the problem that we're going to have um, simply because we've abandoned the Word of God. So, Jennifer, that's it. we got time for one more question, and I'll kind of connect it to the last one. This is from Charles. He said, do you really, and the really is all caps, he said, do you really believe we are in the last days? Charles, I believe it with every fiber of my being. And in fact, and I say it this way now almost all the time, I believe we're in the last hours of the last days. I think Jesus is is in the process even now of rising from his throne at the right hand of God. Um, you know, he, we know he's seated there at the right hand of God. But I think he's getting ready to give up. To, to get up, rather. I think he's getting ready to call us to himself because he just, the pain in his heart, the rebellion of people is more than he can stand. We can't out God's grace, but we can certainly out his timeline. I think Jesus is coming back and I expect him to come. Uh, I'm 70 years old, Charles. With all my heart, I believe Jesus is coming um, in my lifetime. Now, if I'm wrong, I know I'll be with Jesus anyway. But we're to occupy until he comes. And that means we've got to live our lives as though we have no more time. People are dying, going to hell. Our job is to give them the good news of Jesus Christ, crucified and risen from the dead. Hey, thank you for the questions, the calls. May the Lord bless you and keep you. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And Lord willing, I'll be back on the air tomorrow on AM 630 The Word at 4 o'clock. We'll see you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4 And Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here. Here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. Salemnow.com.